All right, I invite you to open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18, verses 9 to 14. There's a sickness in the world today, a major disease. It's not called COVID. It's called looking down on others. We see it in social media, big time, right? We see it in the news and we hear it in public discourse. We see people everywhere who are looking down on others. Looking down on others, for example, because of their politics. Republicans looking down on Democrats. Liberals don't get it. They aren't in touch with reality. They're hypocrites, always wanting to spend other people's money, not their own. But they seldom do anything themselves to help other people. And they push so many ungodly causes. But then there's Democrats looking down on Republicans. Conservatives are so selfish and uncaring. They're bullies, they're oppressive. How could they have voted for Donald Trump? All they care about is their own rich interests and forcing their outmoded morality on other people. But it's not just in politics that we look down on others, it's also on social issues. People who care about climate change and the environment looking down on those who do not. People who care about poverty and social justice looking down on those who don't. People who are vegans looking down on those who eat animals. And on and on it goes. There's a sickness in the world today. And it's called looking down on others. In fact, I'd go so far as to say for a lot of people, it's become part of their religion. And I'm talking about people who would claim that they are not religious. Yet, they have deeply held values. They believe in right and wrong, and they believe that those who are wrong deserve to be punished. And they believe that somehow by being right, they're somehow better, and they should be rewarded in some way. They've got many of the markers of being very religious, but they're missing one major aspect, one key critical component of religion, or at least of good, healthy religion, and that is humility. A sense of their own finiteness and their own fallibility. Also, they're missing one uh, key aspect of what, at least in Christianity, we call grace. The sense that we're acceptable before heaven, not because of how good we are, because we're not, but rather we're acceptable before God because we've been forgiven, because of God's grace, because of God's undeserved goodness and mercy toward us. That keeps us humble. That causes us to say, but for the grace of God, there go I. That causes us to say, how can I judge others when I'm so undeserving myself? How can I not show grace and forgiveness to others when I've been forgiven so much? There's a sickness in the world today, and it's called looking down on others. But here's the tragedy. We inside the church often get this sickness too. We who should know better, we who say we believe in grace, we who have every reason to be humble and no reason to be proud. 
Nevertheless, there's a sickness in the church today, and it's called looking down on others. For some of us in the church, we've gotten caught up in the political battles to the extent that we've joined in in looking down on our political opponents. For some of us in the church, we've gotten caught up in the social issues, whether it's global warming or poverty or animal rights or abortion, which are all good and important things. And it's important that we do care about this sort of thing, except that when we've joined in in looking down on other people and other Christians who should care about these things more but don't. For others of us in the church, we look down on others because they're not being very good Christians, at least not as good as we are, right? <laughs> we care more. We volunteer more. We are more faithful. We show up more often. We love God more passionately. We are nicer people. We have more courage to take the necessary risks. We whatever. There's a sickness in the church today, and it's called looking down on others. And here's just how insidious the sickness gets. We can look down on others for looking down on others. Maybe I have a touch of that sickness today. Tim Keller once put it this way. He was talking about people who look down their noses. Uh, don't you hate people who look down their noses at other people? He, but then he asked insightfully, do you look down at your nose at people who look down their nose at people? <laughs> right? The sickness is so contagious. <laughs> well, in today's passage, Jesus, the great physician, addresses this sickness. In verse 9, we read, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on others, looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. So who do you think it was back in the time of Jesus that Jesus was addressing this parable to? Who do you think it was who were the, the ones who were confident in their own righteousness and were looking down on others? Was it the Pharisees? Was it the religious experts, the teachers of the law? Was it some of Jesus's own disciples who were looking down on other disciples or other people? Well, it doesn't really matter, right? Because Jesus is telling this parable to anyone who has this sickness. The great physician is telling it to you and to me to try to diagnose and treat this sickness to the extent that it's found in us. One time when I was maybe 30, my, my fingertips were getting red and raw and the skin was drying out and it started cracking and it, it hurt to use my hands to do anything re that required more than a light touch. And I was uh, trying to um, figure out what was causing it. Was it the, the soap I was using? Was it something that I was touching? I thought maybe I was doing too many, washing too many dishes and I should stop. Uh, but Anne kindly pointed out there were gloves I could wear for that. <laughs> um, finally, I went to the doctor and he had diagnosed that what I had was eczema. And he gave me some cream to, to treat it. And he said, yes, I should definitely wear gloves when I wash the dishes, which I'm sure Anne paid him to say. Um, <laughs> but being a good doctor, he, he did more than just 
treat the symptoms. He wanted to get to the root cause because I'd never had eczema before. And he didn't think it was something that I was touching. Rather, he, he pointed um, me to the question of what I was eating. And he suggested I might be eating something that my body was slightly allergic to that was making me susceptible to eczema. And I was surprised. I had never thought to connect what I was doing with my fingers or what was going on with my fingers to my diet, to what I was eating. Uh, but that's what a good doctor will do. A good doctor will dig for the root cause and try to trace the problem back to its, its root so that the root problem can be addressed. And that's what Jesus does as a good doctor in giving us today's parable. He traces the symptom of looking down on others back to its root cause. And Jesus communicates this root cause by means of a parable, a made-up story with a very real point, a parable about two men. Both of them went up to the temple to pray, Jesus tells us. In Jesus' day, there were standard prayer times when people would go up to the temple twice a day during the morning sacrifice and during the evening sacrifice. When those were offered to God on the altar, worshipers would assemble for those moments. And among the crowd who went up, there were two men. One was a Pharisee and one was a tax collector. Now, who were these two guys? Well, the Pharisees... Uh, they get a bad rap because they're portrayed negatively in the New Testament. But back in their day, the Pharisees were actually quite popular and well-respected. Pharisees weren't a particular kind of ruler or leader or a formal religious group. They were rather a very grassroots movement of lay people. And they were patriotic. They loved their country. They were not above the people politically or socially. They weren't high class per se. Rather, they were from the people and among the people. They represented the people. And of course, the Jewish people at that time were suffering. They were being oppressed by the Roman Empire. And the Pharisees believed that, like a lot of people believed, that the Jews' problems were spiritual. And that God was letting the Jews languish under Roman persecution because the Jews were not being faithful enough to God's ways, and so they were under God's judgments. So the Pharisees that wanted very much to be faithful and to help others to be faithful, so they worked really hard to teach God's commands and God's ways and to make the Jewish religion really practical, to make it accessible and understandable to everyday people. So the Pharisees had a big influence, a lot of energy, a lot of influence in lots of synagogues and in popular everyday culture at that time. And people generally respected the Pharisees. They admired them, and they looked up to them. They were the good guys. They were the godly ones. Two men went up to the temple to pray, a Pharisee and a tax collector. Nobody likes the tax man, right? 
and even more back at that time because the Romans heavily taxed the Jews. They taxed them oppressively, bleeding away the economic life of the Jewish people, siphoning off funds to, to fatten themselves as an empire while many faithful Jews suffered in grinding poverty. And guess who helped the Romans do this? Well, Jewish tax collectors, Jews who were willing to sell out for a piece of the pie. Jews who agreed for a nice profit to turn coat and enforce Roman taxes on their fellow Jews. And the way this worked was that the tax collectors bid up front for the contract to collect taxes in a certain region. And they owed and paid the Romans a set amount for this contract. And then the tax collector went out to recoup by collecting whatever they could and whatever extra they could to pay the Romans and then to pocket the extra as profit. So they were known and they were resented for being unscrupulous, unfair, for taking more than their due. And the way the system worked, this was not only allowed, but, but this was incentivized, their unscrupulous greed um, and unfair practices. So everyone hated tax collectors. They were the lowest of the low. Often uh, at that time, they'd be mentioned in the same breath as murderers or prostitutes. Just look at verse 11, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, and tax collectors. Two men went up to the temple to pray, a Pharisee and a tax collector. Which one's prayer would be heard? Which one would God accept? Which one's worship would God find acceptable? Let me tell you what happens. And I'm going to tell it a little bit differently, hopefully so you can feel what Jesus' original audience would have felt hearing this story from Jesus. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. On Christmas Eve, two men went to worship side by side in a large church. One was a wonderful, godly, evangelical Christian gentleman, well-respected in his church, and the other was a drag queen who made a living introducing young children to the LGBTQ agenda. The Christian, reflecting on the meaning of Christmas and all that God had done for him by sending his son into the world, prayed in his heart to God, God, thank you so much for sending Jesus and, and all that he's meant to me. You've, you've blessed me so much. You've given me such a great life. And then noticing the drag queen out of the corner of his eye, he added, you've made me so different from people who don't know you, criminals, sex offenders, and even this guy next to me who hates what you value and your ways. I love my wife. I go on mission trips. I give my evenings to serve on the church board. I give sacrificially to my church. But the drag queen kind of sitting there in the service was slumped over, wouldn't even lift his eyes up to heaven, but was, was quietly crying and wringing his hands. Something in the Christmas message had touched him and collecting himself, he prayed, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I'll tell you, Jesus concluded, that this second person, rather than the first, went home right with God. For all those who exalt themselves 
will be humbled, but those who humble themselves will be exalted. Can you believe it? <laughs> Are you offended? Are you troubled? You should be. Jesus told this parable to trouble and to offend us. At least people like me who are tempted to look down on others. Because the truth too often is that we really don't believe we have a sickness. Or that it's that big of a deal that we look down on others. But Jesus is trying to insist to us that there's a sickness in the world today. There's a sickness in the church today, and it's looking down on others. And as a good physician, Jesus, through this parable, is diagnosing the root cause of the sickness. And the root is not on the horizontal plane. It's, it doesn't have to do with, with us and the people that we're tempted to look down on, or how we view those people, or what we or they think the issues are that we disagree on. No, the root of the disease is on the vertical plane. It has to do with us and God and our relationship with God. And the root has to do with our pride before God and all the little ways we exalt ourselves and we congratulate ourselves, whether we say it out loud or just in our hearts, for being nice people, for being acceptable people, for being right people. And all the ways we failed to realize how desperately, how desperately we need God's forgiveness and God's grace. The sickness that exists in the world today, the sickness of looking down on others, is at its root caused by our failure to humble ourselves before God and to recognize how much we need God's mercy. And so if a tax collector or a drag queen or a Republican or a Democrat will humble themselves before God and ask God for mercy, God will accept that person every time. Notice what this tax collector in Jesus' parable does not do. He does not promise to stop being a tax collector. He doesn't promise to give back what he's stolen or defrauded from others. He has not promised to change. Maybe he did. Change is very important. It's very important to Jesus. But in this parable that Jesus tells, Jesus does not say that this man repented or changed. All this man did was admitted that he was a sinner. This man confessed that he was wrong and he begged God for mercy. That's all. And that's enough. To receive mercy. Because God's way of treating people and viewing people is not based on how good people are. Or how much they deserve for God to take notice of them. Or how right they are on the things that matter. No, God's way of treating and viewing people is based on their willingness to humble themselves. And to realize they need mercy. And this turns everything upside down. Do you realize that? In, in announcing this, Jesus did not make the religious people very happy. And, and to understand this, let me give you an analogy. Let's think about cryptocurrency. Um, is there anyone here like me who does not own any cryptocurrency? I, not one bit. 
not one, not one blockchain or whatever it is. Um, imagine if tomorrow the U.S. government made a big announcement that they had decided effective immediately from now on they were getting with the times and cryptocurrency was the only valid currency. The U.S. dollar was no longer a valid form of currency. It was wor worthless. And you couldn't use it to buy cryptocurrency because it's worthless. And so if you didn't already own cryptocurrency, you were out of luck. You were broke. Because all of your dollars, all your money, whether your cash or your money in your bank, was now worthless. How would you feel about that? Is there anyone else it would absolutely ruin financially? Do you think there'd be an uproar? <laughs> Meanwhile, the people with lots of cryptocurrency would be happy, right? Because their investment had just gotten way more valuable. Well, that's kind of, that kind of change of currency is basically what Jesus is doing here. Jesus was declaring that all of our religious efforts and accomplishments and achievements are not a valid currency when it comes to being acceptable to God. And so all of the Pharisees' currency, all the religious riches that, that this guy had invested in his whole life and, um, and worked so hard for, Jesus is telling him, it's worthless. The only currency that's valid now is confessing your sins to God and asking him for mercy. Something anyone can do. Even a tax collector, even a drag queen, even you and me. So think about all you've done for the church, all you've done for God, all the time you've spent with God, all those Bible studies, all the things you've learned, all the, the moments where you sacrificed, all the times you did the right thing when other people didn't. Maybe it cost you. I'm sorry, but none of that, according to Jesus, makes you acceptable to God. It has its place. It's valuable in a lot of ways, but it doesn't make you acceptable to God. In fact, if it's making you a tiny bit prideful, or, or making you look down even a tiny bit on those who don't measure up, then it's getting in the way. Of your relationship with God. You see, God wants to love you. God wants to accept you. God wants to welcome you into his arms. But it's not any of those things you have done or, or haven't done that determine whether you'll find God smiling upon you. The only thing that determines whether you enjoy God's acceptance is whether, like that tax collector, you are humbling yourself and recognizing your unworthiness and begging God for mercy through Jesus Christ. As the old hymn puts it, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to your cross I cling. And that's not just for how we begin the Christian life, that's how it's lived day after day. The great English preacher Charles Spurgeon once put it this way in a story that he told. He told about a great monarch who, 
who was accustomed on a certain set occasion to entertain all the beggars of the city. Around him were placed his courtiers, the king's courtiers, all clothed in, in rich apparel. And the beggars also sat at the same tables in the great dining hall in their rags of poverty. Now it came to pass on a certain day, one of the courtiers had, had spoiled, had gotten dirty his silken apparel. So he dared not put it on and he felt, I can't go to the king's feast today for my robe is too dirty. He sat weeping. He loved the king. He loved the banquets. But then the thought struck him, when the king holds the feast, some will come as courtiers decked in their beautiful array, but others will come and be made quite as welcome who will be dressed in rags. Well, he said, as long as I can see the king's face and sit at the royal table, I'll enter among the beggars. So without mourning, because he'd lost his silken apparel, he put on the rags of a beggar and he saw the king's face as well as those who wore scarlet and fine linen. Cool. And that's what Jesus is saying we all must do if we want to see the king's face. Because realize that or not, none of us has clothes clean enough to join his courtiers. <laughs> we all must humble ourselves and come as beggars. And here's the wonderful news. Like that king, God accepts us. God accepts us. Not because of what we've done, but because we asked him to accept us and we begged him for mercy. And our God is a merciful God. And so he lets us come just as we are. Do you realize that's what God is like? Do you realize that's the kind of heart God has? <laughs> God is willing, God is eager to have mercy on anyone, anyone who confesses their faults and sins and who asks God for mercy through Jesus Christ. And it's only when we do that, it's only when we have that attitude, it's only when we develop a humble heart that our sickness can be cured and we can be the kind of person who doesn't look down on others. It's June 11th, and I'm only going to be here at CBC for a few more Sundays. And so I've been thinking and I've been praying about what do I want to leave you with? And... Um, this is one of the things, maybe the most important thing. I want to leave you with Jesus. And I want to leave you with the gospel. The good news that God is merciful and God is gracious. That through Jesus Christ, God willingly accepts anyone, anyone who will humble themselves and ask for that mercy. And there's nothing that you have to do to earn it. You can't deserve it. You don't have to be good enough. You just have to ask for it in Jesus' name. And when you do and you realize that you've been given that kind of mercy, how can you look down on anyone else? You can't. So may that be true of us as a church. May we be the kind of people, by God's grace, who are recovering from the disease of looking down on others.